Welcome to the podcast of Life Church in Houston, Texas. We are so glad that you are joining us today. We hope that this message inspires your week, builds your faith, and ultimately brings you closer to Christ. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. So I'm jumping in today to James chapter 4. We're in a, a series this month where we're studying the book of James. It's a relatively short book in your New Testament. It's only five chapters long. So today we're on chapter four. Next week will be chapter five. We'll wrap it up. Pastor Ben, my brother, will be preaching from the Friendswood campus. But in James chapter four, we're going to ask the question, what is God's will for my life? James chapter four is pretty short. It's 17 scriptures. And really, when you look at it, it's broken up in a way where it helps us answer this question. How can we find God's will for our life? I know many of us, not just me, I know many of us in this room, many of us in League City and Friendswood, we've asked ourselves, what is God's will for my life? What is God's purpose for my life? What is God's will as far as as the career choices I make? Or or what's God's will will for, for what I study in college What's God's will for for who I marry? What's God's will for for where I should plant my family? Should I move to another city for a better opportunity? What is God's will? Surely God has a plan for my life. I hope God has a plan for my life. Maybe you've come in here this morning. Maybe you've come into one of our campuses and you're you're feeling like God doesn't have a plan for your life. I'm here to tell you he does, and I want to help you today find out what his will is for your life. When we think of God's will for our lives, and when we think of God's purpose for our lives, there's really two aspects of it. There's two different ways that we can think about God's will. The first way that we think about God's will, and a lot of times I think this is what most people tend to think about God's will, is they're wanting to find that one life-defining purpose in the will of God. That one thing that they can do That one moment where they can step up and realize this moment right here, this moment is God's will for my life to to accomplish this purpose, and this is what's going to be the life-defining purpose in my life. So so that's one way to to think about it. And usually that life-defining purpose, you know, that's that's the purpose that that you're remembered for after you're gone. That's the moment that you're you're remembered for, that purpose that you're remembered for uh, when, when people are speaking at your funeral you think about even some people throughout history, like Esther in the Bible. She, she, she lived a life, and actually the way that she came kind of uh, uh, to, to notoriety was through a, like a beauty pageant, but her life-defining purpose was that she saved her people. You think of President Lincoln. His life-defining purpose is that he preserved our nation. You think about William Wallace. Anybody know who William Wallace is? Any brave heart? Freedom! Too much. I am Scottish, somewhere way back, I don't know. But he was remembered, his life-defining purpose was the Battle of Stirling Bridge, where he defeated the British. And sometimes the life-defining purposes in our life, they're not even appreciated or realized until long after we're gone or long after they've passed. And a lot of people think of the life, they think of the will of God like this, that thing. What's the life-defining thing I'm supposed to do? What is the one thing I'm supposed to do? What is the job I'm supposed to have? 
What is God's will for my life? I'll give you another example of this life-defining purpose. Has anybody ever heard of a man named Mordecai Ham? Mordecai Ham. I'm just trusting that maybe there are a couple people at Friendswood and League City that, that know who Mordecai Ham is. Not a well-known name. How many of you have heard of Billy Graham? A lot of hands up here in Houston. I'm sure most of us have heard of Billy Graham, one of the greatest evangelists in Christianity. Mordecai Ham is the minister that was preaching the night that Billy Graham decided to give his life to the Lord. And that was something that when it happened, it wasn't, it wasn't recognized. It wasn't noticed until years later, after God used Billy Graham in an incredible way, now we can look back and say about Mordecai Ham, it was his ministry. This was the defining moment in his ministry because look how it shifted Christianity. But I want to talk to you also about a different kind of purpose that God has for your life. Different kind of aspect of, of God's will. And that's not the life-defining purpose. It's not the one thing that you do that's going to affect the world around you. The one thing that's going to make a difference that you're going to be remembered for. Instead, I want to focus really on the life-encompassing purpose of God's will for your life. The life-encompassing purpose. See, the Bible says in, in the book of Acts that when, when God created mankind, he already knew when and where everyone was going to live. He already knew that I was going to be born in February 1989 in Houston, Texas, and this is when he chose for me to be alive because he had a purpose for me now. He didn't have a purpose for me in the 1800s. He didn't have a purpose for me in the 1500s. He had a purpose for Bo Kilgore today. And so maybe you're wondering if you're here by accident. No, the Bible actually tells us that God knew exactly when and where you were going to be born, and he has a purpose for your life. There's a purpose for you to be alive today. And in James 4, we're going to talk about three things that you can do every day to find God's will for your life. Remember, we're focusing on the life-encompassing purpose not the one defining thing, but what is God's will for your life every day? What is it that God wants you to do every day? Because I think a lot of times, a lot of times we can obsess about the life-defining moment, right? We can obsess about, God, what is that one thing that you want me to do? God, I'm just waiting for that one moment where the heavens open and it just becomes so clear that this is the moment you have chose for me to step up and step into my purpose and say something or do something that's just going to impact hundreds or thousands of people around me, and that's how I'm going to be remembered. And people obsess over that one moment. And really, if you're obsessing about that life-defining purpose, you're going to miss this life-encompassing purpose. And actually, you're going to miss both of it. You're going to miss out on God's will for your life if you're so focused on the thing that he wants you to do, the one thing that will define your life. If you serve the will of God every day, the life-defining purpose will come. If you just make up your mind, I'm going to serve God's will every day, I'm going to allow God's will to be something that encompasses my entire life, where I'm not just obsessing and looking in the future of what's the one thing in the one moment, if you are living in God's will every day, that purpose will come. So in James, we're going to break this down into three different parts through these 17 verses to show you how uh, you can start living in God's will every day. The first is this. 
The first thing is acknowledge the fact that you need some help. Acknowledge the fact that you need some help. Because if you are obsessing over the life-defining purpose, you're probably obsessing about your career, your education, your status, your income, trying to work so hard to get all of these pieces in the right place so that you can do something grand, so that you can be ready for God to use you in a mighty way. But you need to acknowledge the fact that you need some help. James chapter 4, that church that he's writing to, the believers he's writing to, we see they had some pretty messed up people. Let's read James 4 verses 1 and 2. He's asking them, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. These are church people he's, he's writing to. They're killing each other. I'm glad that's not happening in life church. They, they're killing each, over, each other over things that they desire and don't have. It's called coveting. He goes on. You covet, but you can't get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. This sounds like a messed up church. A church full of people who are arguing with each other, quarreling, coveting so much that they're willing to kill each other? Covet, that's a Bible word. It's, it means this, that you want what someone else has. Not only do you want what they have, but you don't want them to have it. James describes a church full of quarreling, fighting, and killing. And really, we see this, these people that James is writing to is full of messed up people. Not Life Church, though. Well, at least not the Houston campus. Messed up people are over at League City. Maybe some at Friendswood. Okay, guess what? We're all messed up. Every single one of us. It's easy to read this and be like, well, at least we're not killing each other. We're still messed up. We're, we're, we're messed up in the sense that we can become so obsessive and we can covet and we can quarrel that maybe we're not killing each other physically, but we're killing relationships. We're killing the purpose of God in our life. We all need to acknowledge that we need some help. We might try to look great on the outside. Deep down, we all have a desire for more money, for higher status, for more respect, for, for affection, for attention, for affirmation. And when we don't get those things, our flesh causes us to quarrel and fight. Let's continue. James 4, 2 and 3 says, you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. Even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. James is telling, you, you need to be going to God. If you want something, go to God. But he actually goes on, he says, that's not even going to work, though, because your motives are all wrong. You see, we, we all have this problem. It's not just the people that James was writing to. We... We all have this problem, same as these people, is that we're in love, oftentimes we're in love with the wrong things. Oftentimes we're in love with the things of the world more than the things of God. And so even if we went to God in prayer to ask him for what we want, it's not things that God wants us to have. So evaluate your motives at that. 
We get deceived into thinking this, and I know you're going to relate to me on this, but we, we get deceived because when we start wanting something, we find ways to justify it, right? Like when the lottery gets really high and the Powerball is like super high, you're like, Lord, not only will I tithe, God, but I will send it out. I will take that heathen money and I will grow your kingdom if you just let me win this $500 million lottery. You can find a way to justify your wants really quick. You can find a way to make it holy really quick. And we're deceiving ourselves. Our motives aren't right. James says that's not actually helpful. It's hurtful, those things that you're desiring. And I, I have a, a three children, and my, my oldest daughter will turn nine on November 1st, and I have a two-year-old daughter and a four-month-old son. And, and with my two girls, there have been times, not the older one so much anymore, she's, she's a pretty good girl, but the younger one, she's in that, I'm not going to say terrible twos because she's wonderful, but she's in that two-year-old stage where she's a toddler and she's, she's getting a, a fiery personality and she, she likes to have her way. Well, sometimes there's things that she wants to do that she shouldn't do. Like when she started climbing up and down our stairs, it scared me and mom. It scared us where we would, we would barricade the stairs. Our, it's such a weird situation where we can't just put a gate. It's complicated trying to figure out a solution. But we'd barricade it. And sometimes I would just sit on the stairs and she would, she would come up. And I knew she wanted to climb the stairs, but I would just kind of purposely get in her way. And she'd cry and want me to move. And I would just act like I, I didn't know what was going on. I'm like, I'm so sorry. The stairs are closed right now. And I didn't, you know, I didn't want to like be the bad guy. I'm like, I, I wish it was open. Like, I really wish you could go up the stairs, but they're closed. You can't do it. There's a lot of times where she wants something, and as her father, I know it's not good for her. There's a lot of times I go to God in prayer for something, and God knows as my father, it's not good for me. There's a lot of times that we have desires and we have motives that if we take it to God, he knows it's not good for us. God loves us too much to let us pursue things that will kill us. God loves us too much. If you're, if you're someone who's following God, following Christ, and routinely going to him and prayer and praying for things and wondering why it hasn't happened, it's probably because he loves you too much to give you what your wrong motives are asking for. James chapter 4, verse 6 says this, He gives grace generously. As scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He gives grace generously. That's what God wants to do. He wants to pour out his grace on people. He wants to give you good things. Do you believe that, that God in heaven wants to give you good things? He wants to lead you to your best life? But he opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. What's a prideful person? Somebody who knows best. Somebody who thinks they know better than God. You see, God doesn't hate prideful people. He hates pride because he knows what pride does to people. God knows what pride does to you and I. It leads to destruction. And he hates pride in people's lives because he hates what it does to them. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So when life gets difficult and you feel like God's not answering your prayers, maybe he is just extending you his grace. Maybe it's in a moment like that where you need to humble yourself. 
where you need to humble yourself and say, okay, God, I know things are difficult right now. Okay, God, I know you're not giving me what I'm asking for, but you know best. Okay, God, I know that things are very difficult for me right now in my family situation and in my financial situation and my health situation. What are you trying to teach me in this season? God, how can I use this season of pain and, and, and torment and loneliness, how can I use this season to get closer to you? That's a moment where we need to humble ourselves. How do you do that? Here's how you can humble yourself. James chapter 4, verse 7 says, give yourselves completely to God. Oh, it doesn't say part way. It doesn't say halfway. It doesn't say give part, part of yourself to God. It doesn't say give God your Sundays and then Monday through Saturday are yours. It doesn't say give God your time but not your finances. It says give yourselves completely to God. Completely to God. Why is this important? Because you need to acknowledge we all need some help. You want to find God's will for your life? Acknowledge you need some help. And the help that you need comes from God. You see, every day pride rises up, our ego rises up, or even just fears and insecurities that drive us to act in a prideful, selfish way. And we need a Savior. We need some help. James 4, 8 and 10. Come close to God and he will come close to you. What an incredible promise that if you will draw close to God, he will draw close to you. Wash your hands, sinners. James is saying, hey, maybe there's some things in your life that you need to let go. Maybe there's some things in your life you need to repent of. Maybe there's some habits. Maybe there's some thoughts. Maybe there's a lifestyle you're living in. Maybe there's some activity you're involved in. Maybe there's some attitudes that you have that you need to wash your hands of. That you need to repent from. And he goes on. He says, don't just wash your hands, but purify your hearts. You know what this is? James is telling this church full of people that kill each other. He's saying, you need to wash your hands, repent, and purify your hearts, meaning, meaning continue to live that repentance lifestyle. Be sanctified. Continue to walk in the ways of God. Wash your hands, purify your heart. If you come close to God, he will come close to you. So repent, be sanctified. Your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And if you humble yourself, what does the Bible say? That God will lift you up in honor. That if you will bring yourself low, God will lift you up. That if you will acknowledge that you need his help, he will lift you up. God wants to extend his grace. He wants to lift you up. This is what Jesus said in John 10.10. 10, I have come that they may have life, not just ordinary life. Jesus said, I've come that they may have life to the full. That means the best life you could ever live is the life that God has for you. And that life that God has for you is separate from the world. It's, it's a way of life of, of, of doing things differently than the world does them, thinking differently than the world thinks, valuing different things than the world values. And if we do that, and if we, we really give ourselves to Christ, if we make him our king, as our king, he leads us to the best life we could ever live. James says that happens when we humble ourselves. 
When we wash our hands, when we purify our hearts, when we draw close to God, when we humble ourselves and recognize, I need some help. What are we talking about today? God's will for your life. I guarantee everybody, deep down, you want to know what God's will is for your life. The first step is just acknowledge you need him and humble yourself. The second thing is this. You're going to wonder how this even connects to God's will for your life. Believe the best about everyone you meet. Now, I'm going to take a time out. You guys, you can tune out for a moment because I really have to preach to myself with this point right here. Believing the best about everyone you meet. I struggle. This is something I struggle with because I am a more cynical person than I am optimistic. I'm just going to be honest with you. I have a tendency to first see problems before success. I have a tendency that, that if I'm meeting someone for the first time and I get a strange feeling about them, I'm going to put some distance between me and that person. I have a tendency where if somebody does me wrong one time, I want to write that person off for the rest of my life, the rest of their life. I don't care if I ever see them again. That's not very Christ-like of me. And so I fight that nature. I have to wash my hands of, of that. I have to get purified from that because what James says is we need to believe the best about everyone we meet. That means our, our coworkers. That means the people that, that you think do you wrong. The people that you get a bad first impression about, believe the best. Will you get burned by people if you just believe the best about them? Yes. Sometimes people stink. Sometimes people will do you wrong. Believe the best about them anyway. Why do I want to believe the best about everybody? What does this have to do with God's will for my life? Well, let's talk about it. First of all, it's not your responsibility to judge others. It's not your responsibility. You know what happens when you take on that responsibility of judging others? Your stress goes up. Because stress happens in your life anytime you take responsibility for something that you don't have authority for. You have not been appointed as an authority, as a judge over other people. And so whenever you're doing that, when you're judging others, it's adding stress to your life. Now, obviously, there are some exceptions to this. If you are a judge, like an actual judge with a gavel and everything, then yeah, it's your, judge, it's your job to judge people. If you're on a jury, you have to judge people. If you're a parent, you are the judge of your house. My role as a pastor, there are times where I have to confront and talk to people about things happening within the church. And even as Christians, there's other places where Paul writes to us and says that we have a, a Christian responsibility to, to confront people that are not living in a way that's honoring to Christ. But what's the difference here in, in confronting or talking to someone about a lifestyle, talking to someone about a problem and judging them? Judging is final. It's finality. It's like, oh, that person's involved in that. Well, they're terrible, they're despicable, they're degenerate, and you write them off. That's not your responsibility. It's not your responsibility to pass final judgment on people. Now, there are many times as a pastor where I have to have conversations with people, and I have to do it in a life-giving way to help them grow spiritually and, and guide them to be in alignment with God's will to live a life that honors God. And a lot of times people can feel like, well, why are, you shouldn't be judging those people. No, there's a difference in 
coaching and leading and mentoring and shepherding people into God's will and judging them and saying, well, they're lost forever, right? Well, that person's a lost cause. Well, that person's just full of issues. Well, that person, they're just always, they got so much drama. That's, that's different than believing the best about people, right? Why does it matter to believe the best about everyone you meet? What does this have to do with God's will? Maybe you're wondering, guess what God's will for your life is connected to? People. God's will for your life, the purpose that God has for your life is connected to people. And if you're writing people off every day, if you're believing the worst about people every time something wrong, uh, something, something happens in your life that goes wrong, somebody treats you wrong, somebody cuts you off in traffic, somebody at work gets on your nerves, if you're writing people off, you're becoming disconnected maybe from God's purpose in your life. But if you're believing the best about everybody you meet, including the people that do you wrong, if you're believing the best, all you're doing is you are giving God the opportunity to use you in their life. You're leaving that door open where you're not slamming it shut, saying, no, this person's no good. You're leaving that door open and say, God, how can I make a difference in this person's life? So believe the best about people. Here's another thing why, why we should believe the best about people. When you judge others, you're wrong most of the time. Have you ever done that, like, gotten a first impression from someone because they said something that you thought was just silly or dumb or mean, and then you spend about an hour with them, and you're like, oh, I had the wrong idea of this person. I had the wrong impression of this person. Have you ever, like, passed judgment on somebody so fast, and then, like, a year later, they're one of your best friends? Because often when you judge others, you're wrong most of the time. You don't know all of the details a lot of times when we write people off like that, when we pass judgment in a split second, there's a lot of emotions involved, right? Maybe you're catching them on a bad day. Maybe you're having a bad day. There's things going on in their life that, that we are not aware of. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5 says this, don't get ahead of the master. Don't get ahead of the master and jump to conclusions with your judgment before all the evidence is in. Because when he comes, when the master comes, he will bring out in the open and place evidence all kinds of things we never even dreamed of, inner motives of people, purposes, and prayers. Only then will any one of us get to hear, well done of God. So it's not your job to bring final judgment. It's not your job because you don't know all the things that are going on in that person's life. And if you are going to be in the will of God, if you are going to live out the purpose of God in your life every day, you have to believe the best about everyone you meet because your purpose is tied to the people around you. Your purpose, it's not about money. It's not about your vocation. It's not about your education. It's always connected to people, always. Why should we believe the best? Because when you believe the best, it allows you to engage in the law of reciprocity. I've never said this word until today. Reciprocity. Can y'all say that? Reciprocity. Yes, I had to warm up a little bit before service. Reciprocity. Reciprocity. What is reciprocity? Let's talk about it. Social psychologists have done these studies, and they say that when someone does something nice for you, you have a deep psychological desire to do something nice in return. It's like when someone shows you an act of kindness, 
God created you in a way where you have this deep psychological urge to also show them kindness, to also do an act of kindness. They've done studies. Like, have you ever walked in a mall and there's like 14 sections of doors you have to open, right? So they've studied this, like two people going through those, all those doors. If the first person stops and holds the door for the second, they're going to take turns holding the door for each other all the way through. But if that first person doesn't hold the door, and maybe it's only halfway through where they finally turn around and open the door, there's already been so much negative equity built up that that person is not engaging in that law of re reciprocity. I almost didn't say it right. Let's read. I want to show you an example of this in the Bible. Luke chapter 6, verses 37 and 38. This is Jesus speaking. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others, or it will all come back against you. Forgive others, you will be forgiven. Give, and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together, and to make room for more, running over, poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. And a lot of times we read that and we think, oh boy, I'm going to give and give and give and God's going to bless me. I'm going to give so much in the offering. I'm going to give so much of my time. I'm going to serve my guts out because I can't wait to get what God is going to give me as a reward. But really what I think Jesus is talking about here is this law of reciprocity where if you will become a person that forgives, that you will be forgiven by people. That if you become a person that gives of your time, your energy, and you're there for others, and you're generous to others, guess what? People are going to be generous to you. If you're someone who's casting judgment and condemning people, guess what? People are going to cast judgment and condemn you. This is how God created us. You see, what's happening here is Scripture, Jesus is speaking to what social psychologists are beginning to understand about how we've been created, is that within us, there is this desire for mutual servanthood, right? You serve me, and I serve you. You give to me, and I'm going to give to you. You forgive me, and I'm going to forgive you. You show me kindness, and I'm going to show you kindness. And because of sin, this all gets twisted up, because of sin... It all gets messed up, right? So instead of us wanting to show kindness to each other and generosity to each other and show forgiveness to each other, instead we harbor resentment and bitterness and anger. We condemn. But God created us in a way where we would get our deepest sense of satisfaction and fulfillment when we're living a life of serving others and making a difference in the lives of people around us. Finding God's will for your life, this life-encompassing purpose. First of all, you have to acknowledge that you need some help, that you need God, that you can't figure it out by yourself. You can't figure it out just by getting the right degree. You can't figure it out just by getting the right job. You're not going to figure it out just by achieving the level of status that you're envisioning for yourself. You need some help. And also, you need to believe the best about everyone that you meet because God's will is connected to people. So what's the third part that James tells us about finding God's will for our life? Consult with God before you do anything. Anything? Anything. James chapter 4, verses 13 through 15. And now I have a word for you who brashly announced 
This is so funny to me. James is like, obviously he's writing to people in this church who many of them are probably business owners and they have different businesses that they're setting up and they're traveling for. And he says, I have a word for you who brashly announced, oh, today or at the latest tomorrow, we're going to go off to this city for, a, for the year. And we're going to start a business and we're going to make a lot of money. He says, you don't know the first thing about tomorrow. Man, James, he just, he just says it. Just says it like it is. He says, you don't know anything. You're but a wisp of fog, catching a brief bit of sun before disappearing. Instead, make it a habit to say, if the master wills it, if it's God's will and we're still alive, we're going to do this or that. So, so James is trying to give some perspective, much like the rest of the book of James. He's, he's given us the, the extreme examples here, but he says, evaluate your life. Have some perspective about your life because you're like a wisp of fog, you're here today, you're gone tomorrow. And a lot of times we don't want to confront that about ourselves as, as realizing and the, and the whole, the entirety of God's plan for humanity and for, for, for the world that we get to share in just a moment of it, a fleeting second of it. So James is trying to give us some perspective that when we're seeking God's will, this life-encompassing will, we should probably consult with him. Consult with him about what? About financial decisions. About purchases. How many of you have made like purchases for vehicles or cars where as soon as you did, you're like, why did I do that? Well, not as soon as you did, when you get the first bill. When you get the first payment, you're like, oh my gosh. It's like you get in these rough financial situations and you look back and you think, man, I wish I would have had more wisdom during that time when I was making that decision. You know what would have helped is if you consulted God about it. God, is it wise for me to make this financial decision? Consult God about your career. God, is this, is this career something that's going to be beneficial for me and my family? Or is this an unhealthy environment for me to be in? Because there's a lot of places that are going to pay you some good money, but the environment is going to be destructive for your soul. So what is better? Consult God. He'll help you figure it out. You have questions about how to parent your children? Consult God. You have questions about how to work your marriage out? Consult God. You, you, you're dealing with anxiety and fear because of different, different things you're going through at school? Consult God. You're having doubts? Don't go to the TikTok preachers. Consult God. Consult God. If you want to find God's will for your life, and listen, I know this hasn't been like some ground-shaking God's purpose for your life as you get up here and travail and speak in tongues and you're going to have a vision. That kind of stuff happens. But you know what God wants more than that one defining thing that you do? He wants all of you. He wants your whole life. He wants your Monday through Saturday. He wants your thought life. He wants your financial life. So this is a good question for you to ask. If you're wondering, what's God's will for my life? Just start asking every day. Just ask this question. Will this honor God? Will the way that I'm about to speak to this person honor God? Will this financial decision that I'm about to make, will it honor God? 
Will this job that I'm about to take, will this honor God? Will this decision I'm making for my family, will it honor God? Are these thoughts that I'm thinking, are they honoring God? Are these things that I'm watching honoring God? Are these things that I'm listening to honoring God? Are these conversations I'm involved in, are they honoring God? Start asking yourself, does this honor God? And I promise you, I promise you, I guarantee you, if you live every day like this, is this honoring God? You will live in the will of God for your life. You will live the life-encompassing purpose of God. And along the way, guess what's going to happen? There's going to be a life-defining moment that people remember you for. Where in one moment, because you are already just living God's will every day, there's going to be a door open for you to step into and make an impact in the lives of people around you in a great and mighty way. But it comes from living in the will of God every day. And that's not the flashy purpose. That's not the cool, trendy purpose. That's not the thing that's going to make you a social media influencer. That's not the thing that's going to get you an interview on TBN. That's what it's called, right? Yeah. Living in God's will every day. Just believing the best about people and loving them. Serving others. Honoring God with your time, your energy, your resources, your finances, leading parents, leading your family, husbands and wives, serving your spouse. That's God's will. The Bible says, wives submit to your husbands and husbands love your wives. A lot of times people get bent out of shape about that. It's mutual submission. The Bible says, wives submit to husbands. Husbands love your wives the way Christ loved the church. Christ died for the church. It's like, how can I outserve my spouse? Raise your children in a godly home. That's God's will. Teach your children the Bible. That's God's will. Show your children how to prioritize God and the church over baseball and video games. That's God's will. Help your children have a healthy mental experience at school where they're not feeling like they're judged or like they have to live up to social media expectations Monitor what's going on in their world. That's God's will. Be part of the life-giving church in this community. That's God's will. Those are the things God wants us to do every day. You can start stepping into that today, actually. Right after service at every location, we're having an event called Discover Life. Here at the Houston campus, it'll be right outside in the lobby there by the coffee bar. What is Discover Life? This isn't a class. We're not going to make you take notes or anything like that. It's just an opportunity for you to meet our team and meet the leaders and hear more about what happens on Sundays here at Life Church. What really makes Life Church tick? Because we have Sunday service and we have everything going on in the lobby. We have the, the lights. We have the, the musicians. We have the worship team. And, and we have all these different people that you see wearing the lanyards and running around. And guess what? Even Monday through Saturday, there's different ministries happening. Maybe it's time for you just to find out what that's all about. And say, you know what? I, I've been coming here for a while and I'm, I'm on this journey of faith. And I love being part of this church. And I'm ready just to step in and, and do my part now. And it's not a scary thing, I promise you. There's, there's no pressure 
It's not an intimidating thing. It's not like we're going to get you in a circle and everybody's going to lay hands on you and shake you around. That's a few weeks down the road at Freedom Conference. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. This is God's will for your life as well. Being part of the local church. That's what the Bible tells us, that each and every one of us, each and every one of us have been given gifts and abilities and we have purpose on our lives and we were made to fit with one another. You know, that's what the Bible says, like the body of Christ, that we all have different purposes, but we were made to fit together. So without you, we're not complete. Without you taking that next step and saying, yeah, I'm going to go to Discover Life and hear what it's all about to start serving in ministry. Without you, we're not complete. Because you have something that nobody else has. You have gifts that no one else has. You have experiences that no one else has. You have ministry in you that no one else has. You have a purpose from God on you that no one else has. But we were made to fit together. So I encourage you today, Houston, League City, Friendswood, as soon as service is over, just get with our campus pastors, get with the team, join us for Discover Life. We're going to give you some resources. We've got an awesome book for you. It's our Discover Life book. Even if you decide maybe you're not ready to serve, this book is a great resource for you to have because it's going to help you grow spiritually. So I'm just encouraging you, come to that event, hang out with us, have some fun, and we'll tell you more about what your next step can be to join the team. Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 through 33. Jesus says, don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat tomorrow? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. When the disciples asked Jesus, when they said, Jesus, we want to pray like you pray. Teach us how to pray. One of the first things that Jesus tells them is every day, pray that God's kingdom would come and that his will would be done. That's humbling yourself. That's acknowledging, I need some help. God, bring your kingdom to my life because I can't do this on my own. He goes on, help us, help us to forgive others. Believe the best about people. And then consult God, every day. Will this honor God? Ask yourselves, will this honor God? Would you please stand with me, every location? If you want to live in the will of God and you start applying these things to your life, if you consult God first, guess what happens when you start consulting God first? First, he leads you on paths to your best life. If you just make it a habit, every day to consult with God about the decisions you're going to make. If you make it a habit every day to believe the best about people around you. If you make it a habit every day to acknowledge and humble yourself and say, God, I need you. And you ask yourself, will this honor God? Guess what's going to happen? God is going to lead you to your best life. That's what the Bible says, Proverbs chapter 3. I love this passage. Verses 5 and 6. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and what he shall direct your path. Amen. So Life Church, I want to ask you, and I'd ask the prayer team to please take your place at every campus. What if we started seeking God like this every day? What if we started seeking God in every decision? What if we started believing the best about the coworkers we've been fighting with? 
What if we started believing the best about the people that you view as your mortal enemies? What if we started believing the best? What if we just acknowledge that we need help? I'll tell you what would happen. Our world would become a better place. The world around you would become a better place if you believed the best, if you acknowledged that you needed some help, and if you sought God every day, you consulted him every day. So maybe there are some people that are in this place. Maybe you're in one of our campuses. You've walked in, and that just needs to be your next step. Maybe you've never taken that moment to acknowledge, I do need God. I do need to commit my life to Christ. I have been living in some ways that are very destructive and painful, and I need to leave those things behind. Today you can make that decision. Maybe somebody came in this place and you've just been, you feel like you've been chewed up and spit out by others. There's been a lot of harm and wrong done to you and lies and gossip, and you're wondering, how could I ever get back to that place where I'm believing the best about others? After all they've done to me and after all they've said about me and after how they've ruined my reputation, how about they lied about me? How am I ever going to start believing the best about people? If you allow the Holy Spirit to renew your mind. And that can start happening today. Maybe there are some people that have come into one of our locations. Maybe you're in this room and you know you've been making decisions that are not honoring God, today is your day, your opportunity to repent. Did you see what the Bible says? He's ready to extend grace. He's not, re- he's not waiting to drop a hammer like a judge on you. He is waiting to extend grace and mercy and love towards you. Maybe you have some big decisions you're about to make for your family, financially, for your career. Consult with God. In the book of James, He also tells us that we need to pray for one another, that we need to lay hands on each other and anoint each other with oil, that if there's a need, if there's a problem, if there's a sickness, that we should not just keep it to ourselves, but that we should actually confess that to someone else and ask them for prayer. That's why we have our prayer team. At every location, we have our prayer team. These are people that are trained. They've been entrusted, and they're equipped to partner with you in prayer. So if, if you fall into any of those categories, if you have some things that you are, are, are conflicted about, if you have some pain that you need to, to get rid of today, if you have some lifestyles that maybe you need to leave behind, some habits you need to repent of, whatever it is, come to one of our prayer team partners. Confess it. Speak it. Get it out in the open. And allow them to partner with you in prayer. I'm going to pray for you. And as soon as I say amen, I'm going to hand it back over to, to League City to Friendswood, and then here at Houston, we're going to, our team's going to come lead us in worship. We're going to have a time of prayer, but let me pray for you before we end. Lord, I thank you so much for your wisdom, the wisdom that we find in your word. Thank you so much that we can read your word, and it helps navigate the deepest parts of us that sometimes are unknown to us that sometimes feel like they're so out of control with our emotions and with our pain and with our, with our hurts. But your word is so soothing and healing and so sweet because it helps us navigate. It helps us course correct. It helps us see the adjustments we need to make. It helps show the path, Lord. I thank you for the wisdom that we find in the book of James. I thank you so much for, for the decisions that people are making this month, the hard decisions, the decisions to lead to leave their life of sin, the decisions to leave certain lifestyles, the decisions to be more mindful of what they do to honor you, God. And I pray that you would help us 
Help us all always acknowledge that we need you. Help us to humble ourselves. We don't want to be prideful. We don't want to be arrogant. We don't want to puff ourselves up. We don't want to feel like we've got it all together, that we can figure it out. No, Lord, without you, we are lost. We are broken. We are sinners. Without you, we are nothing. We need you, Lord. Help us to start believing the best about others around us because we know your purpose is connected to those people. Your purpose would have us searching for the lost, searching for the hurting, searching for the broken. And even when they lash out at us, and even when they say things to us that that offend us, we're going to believe the best about them because we want to be a conduit of your grace. Everywhere that we go, school, job, family, out in public, wherever it is, in all of our relationships, we want to be a conduit of your grace. You have shown us grace, so we want to show others grace. Holy Spirit, help us and convict us in those moments and in those times where we're ready to write somebody off. Help us to believe the best because you believe the best about us when we didn't deserve it. If there's somebody carrying baggage and pain from harsh words that have been spoken to them, from lies that have been told about them, I pray that healing would begin today in the name of Jesus Christ. Help Life Church be a church full of people that consult you and your will and ask the question, does this honor you? Help us today. Everyone that's ready to take their next step, I pray confidence, I pray boldness, I pray blessing on them. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.